0: From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Hey, hey out there in Radio Land, it is me. It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of, Backroom Politics. We are here in Studio A in Podcast Village, as we said in the intro, joining me in studio, he is the former... Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. He is the one we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Uh, hello, uh, Justin. Joining us from an undisclosed location in Bay State of Massachusetts. He is the journalist and author of such great books as American Politics on the Rocks. He's our masshole in residence. He is Rich Rubinio. Hello, Rich. Rich? Did we lose Rich? Rich, if you're mad because I called you a masshole I refer to myself as a masshole No, he—he—I've he, called him that before. Anyways, uh, technical difficulties. The great thing about doing uh, a, a podcast like this. Hey, anyway, um, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, but we want to start off with something that happened, uh, fairly recently. Uh, happened this week, where we, um, obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that. The country is facing a crisis involving opioid abuse and the deaths of overdoses of opioids uh, It has become a national crisis. Uh, President Trump has rightfully so said that uh this is a, uh, a a real national crisis that we have to deal with up front the Several states have gotten involved in it, but the the most visible run right now is the state of Oklahoma. The state of Oklahoma sued Johnson and Johnson, which uh, is a manufacturer of opioid medicine, uh, which is similar to. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, Rich. I'm back yeah, off. okay, yeah, we got you. Uh, which is. Um, a manufacturer of opioids, amongst other things. A large multi-billion dollar conglomerate. Uh, Oklahoma sued them. It is the first state to sue uh, an, an opioid manufacturer and make it to trial. There are other pharmaceutical companies that are reaching deals before trial, but this is the first one. Johnson Johnson wanted to go to trial. Bottom line. Uh, the judge ruled in favor of the state of Oklahoma, ruled against Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson will have to pay the state of Oklahoma $572 million in response to that, which will go into more than likely some sort of similar fund, I guess, Alan, than like the uh, the tobacco fund of days of yore. Um, first of all, let, let's talk a little bit about The opioid crisis. Alan Moore, you know, a lot has been made of opioids and the overdose, and not just opioid. You know, we're talking crystal meth, we're talking heroin, you know, drugs that have seen a a strong resurgence in the past few years. Uh, But the opioids are really taking hold... we're not overselling this when we call this a true health care crisis are we
1: no no and 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 in parts of the country in particular um uh, it it is just uh, moved sort of like a uh, like a wildfire or hurricane just slashing and burning and killing and doing great harm um personal economic um it it is uh uh, it, it's a strange one the 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 comparisons with tobacco are interesting um because uh, whereas with tobacco um with 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 cigarette smoking in particular there's there's no positive of any sort other than the 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 rush of an addiction um it, it, in the case of opioids however there are millions and millions of uh, Americans and people around the world who are able to live fairly normal lives because they now have effective painkillers that, that make it possible for them to function. The problem, of course, is that there are millions and millions of others who have addictions um, whose lives have been destroyed, the, 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 the loss of life. It Alone um, is is staggering, and then the cost of treatment is uh, incredible. Right. In, the, in the Oklahoma case, uh, Oklahoma, so Oklahoma has sued a number of different companies, and it and it achieved out of court settlements with a couple of big companies in the last like
0: Purdue year. Pharma, Purdue Pharma for,
1: to the tune of a couple right. hundred million. Now what they were doing, and those companies didn't want to face what they thought Johnson and Johnson might face. Uh, and I'm not saying all these companies are exactly identically situated; their 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 products are different and their roles are different. But right. but but in the case of Johnson and Johnson, Oklahoma was seeking seventeen mm-hmm. billion dollars. That was what they were requesting uh, th- this court, and and it was a you know it was a big reach, obviously for a number that that large um they got the this this initial award of 572 million all of which is going to be appealed um and and it will be strung right. out time wise but, but but if you're talking about the, the, the what what the happened impact. with what what you what happened with cigarette manufacturers remember first of all there were only a few of them Um, That were that were that were involved, although the product was in every state. It was all Um, all the major
0: ones. I mean, you're talking about RGR. You're talking. I'm just
1: saying there were only a handful of of tobacco uh, uh, big tobacco companies, cigarette manufacturers, and 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 the damage was was very clear by then. The the all the research showed that uh, how many people were either or dead dying or right. or or compromised and, and so a, a major massive deal was put together right. to to give money uh to take take in money uh the from from the from the, the tobacco companies and right. give it to the states
0: Rich, you know this is the funny thing about uh the opioid crisis and 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 I we have to include also uh you know the illegal substances like fentanyl that comes in mm-hmm. from China and the Far East uh, but just on the opioids itself and heroin but opioids in particular in this discussion the effect it's had on areas that we wouldn't expect I go to I go home to Mattpoisit Massachusetts I go to Cape Cod I go to Martha's Vineyard and I hear stories of overdoses and death and crime I he, I go to places like uh, you know suburban Columbus, Ohio, where you wouldn't expect these deaths and these crimes to be happening and they're hamp- they're happening at a rampant number it, it, it does, does the fact that this is affecting a completely different population set? make it that much more important? Or, I mean, are we, is it important because of the areas that they're hitting?
2: Um, I don't know if it makes it necessarily more important. I think, though, it makes it more um, recognizable. And certainly, you know, if somebody from... You know, Brentwood, California, if it's if if, if, if dealing with this issue, there's probably going to be more media attention just because of the wealth, because they probably know more people than if this was going on in, you know, south-central L.A. I mean, that's just the reality of the circumstance is it's getting more media attention because of where it is affecting. I'm sure there are many politicians, many businessmen who have kids or who, who know somebody, who have acquaintances. Certainly, I mean, almost everyone has some sort of an acquaintance. It's been affected by this. I mean, we're at the point now where there are more heroin deaths than there are gun deaths. I mean, there are about 50,000 fatal overdoses, you know, every year. Um, so we're at so we're at that we're at that point, and I think that there is a lot of enmity, and people are looking to see who you know who is responsible for this. And I think, you know, on the one hand, you can go after the drug dealer, um, you know, the person that's selling the heroin. But on the other hand, you can go after the person who you know the people in the suits and ties who are in charge of Johnson and Johnson, where some of this where this fentanyl is essentially coming from. And I think that, that, I think that it's interesting because, you know, even Oklahoma, one of the probably the most, argued, I think it was at a state where no Democrat has gotten more support, um, I mean, it has won one county since 2004. It's probably the most conservative state in the country. Um, you have the Attorney General of Oklahoma, you know, a very conservative state, a very white state, a very Republican state, and the Attorney General is Republican. And they're looking into this, and they're saying, you know, we want we want money because right. of essentially of what's happening. It's very similar. I think the tobacco settlement actually is similar to this because in the case of the tobacco settlement, I mean, people are dying from lung for dying from lung cancer or other um, smoking-related illnesses, and it was really it was widespread. It was you know, it was white America, it was Latino America, it was Asian America, it was African American America. And I think that it actually, in a sense, there was kind of a unity because everyone wanted, everyone was started to see to see cigarettes as something that was addictive. I remember but, in 1995, you right. had all the CEOs of the tobacco companies testifying under oath before the U.S. House representatives right. at the time, saying right. that tobacco is not addictive. Well, Rich, let and me go to, Let me right.
0: Let me go to let me go to Alan though. Alan, I mean, if you look at the case in Oklahoma, uh, uh, Rich had mentioned uh, the attorney general down there. Uh, who is a Republican uh, who I know named Mike Hunter, Uh, Mike comes up and says, look, there's got to be accountability. I mean, this is a pro-business type Mm -hmm. of guy, Alan, that comes back and says, "Uh, opioids have killed uh, 4,600 people in my state. We're continuing to spend state resources and local resources to respond to these cases, the corporations that manufacture these have to be held accountable. Are we here's the thing is, are we playing with a slippery slope here? I mean, as far as and, and again, I, I'm not taking a position on this. just it's a question that I've been asked. Is the slippery slope that we are playing with, a you know, there's got to be some responsibility to the manufacturer, and we put all the burden on the manufacturer. Or is there some sort of personal responsibility inherent to this that realizes that this is, I you know, this is not only illegal but bad and could kill me, but yet I still do it. It's a it's a it's an addiction. I get it, but there's also some personal responsibility involved. Is is this a dangerous area we're playing in?
1: I mean, I, it 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 is. It, when you say dangerous, you're wondering if it's dangerous for the way America functions, the, econo- the, the economy. Well, let, me, let me put it into. In, in,
0: in let me put it into. Let me just answer that real quick. I, I mean, if you look at it, what if opioids, the opioids that we talk about, we talk about OxyContin, we talk about other prescription and these are prescription drugs and were designed as prescription drugs to deal with pain, nerve blockers, et cetera. Uh, They were researched, they were developed, and they were put on the market. Uh, Does this lawsuit and the similar lawsuits cause Big Pharma to say, what's the incentive for us to put this drug and do research on these drugs to put them out there? Only that if somebody decides to turn it into a street narcotic, we could get sued.
1: Well, I don't think anybody expected when these when these drugs were in development um, uh, 20, 30 years ago that that we were that they were going to be part of this incredible crisis. We were we are. And what's happened is that there are a lot of people with dirty hands here. Um, and and that and, and, and the principal reason for uh, the dirty hands piece is when you look at the sheer volume of these drugs that were being sold in different parts of the country, many, many people knew that there was just no way that the normal anticipated expected use would ever begin to trigger the kind of volume of production and demand that emerged. And no one seemed until half a dozen years ago to be re- standing up and saying, hang on, what's going on here? How is it that small drugstores in, in rural communities are, are, are purchasing and distributing enough pills for you know, hundreds of pills per resident of the county. There's something wrong, and and this is the. But, but this, is it, is, this? is, I think, the 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 culpability piece, and there's every everybody in the chain would have had. But is there some, some sort of level of, personal personal of
0: responsibility by the individuals or the families that realize that this is, in fact, could kill me and a bad idea? Instead of it, it, uh, it just know, seems I, that uh, it just seems that that the, the tobacco lawsuit set off a trend of well we'll go after the manufacturers no, for big I money. think
1: in the case of I think in the case of tobacco, once it became pretty clear, you know, thirty years ago, notwithstanding the the incident that that uh uh, that rich described of these these tobacco CEOs saying no we don't think it's addictive and at the time when virtually everybody in America knew they were and knew that if, if they were smokers or not smokers or former smokers or friends of smokers that this was a very powerful addiction and right. that was just that was just that was just stupid uh, of, of of them at the time and they get ridiculed uh, about it ever since but with tobacco um, once people began to realize that a it's addictive but also it will kill you then the question is so how what's the the, the responsibility of the individual versus the company that's advertising denying addiction etc um, it was the, the, the it, it was a different circumstance than people in in this country who initially most of whom initially came to one of these drugs because of pain because of a need. It was a genuine prescription. But then they started to float around, and people would say, ooh, these pills are really cool, and here you should try some. And other people started trying them without realizing that they were going to die from it. But you you, you understand the point that says, I mean,
0: the critics of these lawsuits against the manufacturers are, you know, it almost seems... And again, I don't, I, I don't necessarily support this argument, but I, you know, I've got to moderate the show and bring up other views. It almost seems opportunistic to go after the manufacturers. I mean, why not go after CVS? Why not go after Walgreens? Why not go after the mom and pop there, drug there, stores? There, right now, there are several on,
1: cases. There are more than two thousand lawsuits right now, and, and that was as of a couple of days, days ago. ago right. And when you have this breakthrough case against Johnson & Johnson, it wasn't for $17 billion, it was for $572, 572 million. Million. It's going to be appealed, it's going to be stretched out. You can be sure that new lawsuits are coming forward daily, and anybody in the chain... But instead of being litigious, why not find a solution to this? Well, <laughs> What you know, the, the solution is a whole bunch of things, but but if you, you know, the the five hundred and seventy two million dollars, as I understand it, was set by this judge because the conclusion in in looking at Oklahoma's case was that five hundred and seventy two million dollars is the cost that the state of Oklahoma uh, incurs in one year as a result of The 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 overdoses, the 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 overdoses, mental illnesses, lost lives, um, but ruined lives, and so on. So, so the the, there's all kinds of efforts going on, and one of the weird, sad pieces of what's happened with the opioid, so-called opioid crisis. And remember, these drugs have some 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 opium-based. uh, That's in, the opioid. In, in ingredients, right? That it, and and one of Johnson and Johnson's major roles was to be a supplier of. The ingredients that went into the oxycodones, oxycontins, and others. Right. So uh, I think they also had a product, and they, they had also several products. They also have a fentanyl patch. I mean, fentanyl is 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 coming in from China in in hidden packages, and it's a it's a killer drug. It's- but it also has uh major useful applications for people. So so the, but, but, you 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 have to go right. after you have to go after anybody and everybody but right. if you're the state of Oklahoma or any other state in the country you're saying our medicaid system our hospitals our our police um uh it, it, are are faced with the the aftermath of right. All the death, right. dying, right. destruction, and we want people to pay. Even as we're trying to change behavior, right. some of the change, right. of course, is we we've we've tightened up the the opioids and and we've increased the demand right. for for heroin.
0: Uh, Rich Rabina, we've got about two minutes left. Um, is is this an opportunity, or should the country take this opportunity instead of looking at who we could? In fact, go after as far as lawsuits and taking up court time is now look at finding practical solutions to the mental illness, the 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 disease that is addiction, uh, instead of just lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit.
2: I mean, I think that well, first of all, I think the attorney general in Oklahoma. I mean, he he said it, he declared a W, despite the fact that you know he was the key he was going for an inordinate amount he was going for you know 17 billion and he got about ha he got about a half a billion dollars, billion dollars so you know he's still calling that a w and talked about what he called the courage of the uh of the judge there but I think you have, I think it's a I mean it doesn't necessarily have to be litigious you do have to certainly go after, you're seeing a lot of the states, for example, they have, um, there are certainly plans in a lot of the states to go after, um, to go after the fentanyl crisis, but you have to go the mental illness is certainly a piece of it, you hear this with, you know, there's a lot of interrelation here between that and the issue of gun violence, you always hear about the mental illness aspect of it, but there's certainly, you know, there is certainly a mental, as- there's a mental health aspect in our schools, there's a mental health um, crisis in the entire nation, and in terms of how you, how you ameliorate it, I don't know. But, um, you know, it's certainly, something that you ha- it's certainly something that there has to be, you know, as you hear on the immigration issue all the time, there has to be something comprehensive that kind, of deals with, that kind of deals with all of this. And, you know, a lot of that is going to be psychological studies and, you know, what it is in the brain that makes us, um, that makes somebody, for example, want to crave something, but also what is in the brain that makes somebody, you know, that essentially makes somebody mentally ill. But the mental illness part is, I think, the most important.
0: Right. Right. Uh... Well, we're going to let that be the last word. We're going to continue to monitor this because this is not the only lawsuit that we're going to see. Uh, and this is definitely a national health care crisis. It's something that uh, uh, that affects a lot of people and affects a lot of people that we know. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, well, it wouldn't be a week of Backroom Politics unless we talk 2020 Politics, and we're going to talk about that when we come back. This is Backroom Politics from studio in Podcast Village. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. studio a in podcast village upper georgetown washington dc this is the best political talk show you've never heard of it's backroom politics with your host and moderator justin russell hey and we are back and uh with the great help and support of charlie charlie bernie who's filling in for Rod, the engineer in the cage and then of course eric the producer doing eric the producer type stuff we got rich robino we've got uh alan moore and me Hanging out talking about 2020 politics, which means that we get to talk about the Democratic race, which means that, uh, you know, if you blink, somebody might go away. Well, if you look at the polls this week, uh, looks like we're going to have a one-day, one-stage possible uh, Democratic debate coming up here. Alan Moore?
1: Uh, We can hope That uh, you're done with the two-day marathon. We won't have to devote two days of of our lives uh, to hear these people uh, (laughs) uh, stumble all over each uh, each other, trying to uh, trying to throw uh, Obama
0: under the Obama under the bus. uh,
1: Well, do that to trash uh, Joe Biden uh, and his partner, uh, uh, President Obama, and then over and then see who can come up with more promises. Um, uh, Bernie has sort of trumped everybody. No, no pun intended here, uh, this week (laughs) with his. (laughs) $16.5 <laughs> 16 and a, half, a, a trillion a half trillion dollar climate, uh, and that's on top change. of
0: his thirty-two trillion dollar Medicaid for all, Medicare, Medicare, Medicare for, for, all, rather. for all, Medicare yeah. for all. That so w- the tab on Bernie right now is at what almost forty-seven <laughs> trillion.
1: <laughs> Let's round it off because we don't want to leave out, you know, what free college. Um and and uh, uh and the potential economic impacts of his of of his uh so uh, guaranteed jobs and, oh, and, that's right. uh, and 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 fifteen dollar uh, So he hasn't he hasn't even gotten wage. into
0: twenty twenty yet and the tab on a Bernie Sanders presidency is somewhere in the area of almost a hundred trillion.
1: Well, so re- remember, in fairness, you know, this in is fairness. Well, no, no, no. It, it, you know, you you you've got his his global plan, I think, is a 15 year plan. So. Oh, okay. so it's not all one year. Or anything oh, like thank that, God. Because it would be all bigger than the U.S. economy. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> Rich but, Rubino. Yeah, I was just going to say, but I mean, you know, this is all an academic exercise Because even if somehow Bernie Sanders does get elected president, there's no possible way that that's going to pass. And if it does pass, it's going to be a very, very watered-down version. You know, he talks about – when he talks about you need a – him and Elizabeth Warren are both basically saying you need a revolution. Um, and then you have other candidates like um, the more moderate Steve Bullock, the governor of Montana says you don't – a revolution essentially can't wait. You know, if you propose things that are this massive, let's say Bernie Sanders does get elected. I mean, well, for example, first of all, if the Republicans maintain control of the United States Senate. It's going nowhere anyways, and there's no Republican that would compromise – would compromise one iota in terms of that plan but even if the democrats do take over the republicans can just you know use the filibuster against it so i mean you know it's 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 something you do when you're running for election i remember in 1992 for example you know bill clinton ran on a middle-class tax cut he said there's going to be a middle-class tax cut once he got elected, he saw the deficit numbers; they were bigger than he expected, and he immediately reneged on that. Right. So, I mean, you know, this is just—it's—it's—it's essentially—it's very easy to make these huge plans, but obviously, the we're not electing an autocrat; we're electing the we're actually right. the leader of the second most powerful branch in the government. Right. So, none of this is going to happen. So,
1: here's the thing: is it, oh, you cynic? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> here's
0: here's the thing: is depending on what poll right now, it seems that uh, we're going to have. Ten Democrats on one stage when they get to Houston here in the next month.
2: Although Bernie Sanders is technically an independent.
0: Uh <laughs> uh, really, are we going? Are we going to get that anal retentive? Semantic, are we rich? Yeah. I will put you in the corner. I swear rich to God, Rich is right. Rich is he right. Is, it's uh, true. No, no. Wait a minute. Is, he is declared as a Democratic candidate, which makes him a Democrat.
1: He's not a Democrat. Is What is he? He's a
2: he's a Democratic he's
0: an, socialist. He's Democrat. Oh, he's
2: actually he's registered in Vermont as, as an not independent, in any party in the state of Vermont, and he yeah. ran last time for the United States Senate as an independent. Independent,
0: right? Yeah. Right? Right? So anyway, that being the case, uh, okay. we're going to have te- all right. Fine. We're going to have nine Democrats and one Democratic and Socialist Bernie. Independent on a stage in
1: Houston. Well, if the case, we get all 10, and, but, and then if, we get, if, if 11 should qualify, then I think they go back to, to two nights. To two nights, yeah. right.
0: 10's a cutoff on a stage, they've said. So here's the thing is, uh, what is better? You can bring up a, a question I was going to ask, Alan, is what is better for the Democrats? Are two nights better for the democrats because it kind of you know you can keep joe biden and bernie on two separate nights if you want you can keep sanders and harris separated
1: i mean or do you want them all on one? well remember the separation uh is is done by randomly uh, by, right. by a random drawing right. so you don't know who's going to be with whom which which is you know on the one hand fair on the other hand disappointing for people who would like to see some of the some of the the, front some of the matchups head to head you know the republicans ran into this problem last time around when they had 16 candidates and they had like the the first team and then they had the kids table and that oh, yeah. wasn't really fair and that brought up its own challenges and ridicule and 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 so on the democrats are trying to get around that by having this this random process so then you've got 10 people twice and 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 they're all vying for time and and so on. It really needs to, to is, the con-
0: is consolidation a good thing right now well, for the dems?
1: I, I, you know, I don't know that it matters. I don't know how much people are paying attention. The 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 the, the, the numbers of of watchers dropped off dramatically from uh from the first uh, two nights to the next two nights uh and and uh I don't think the public is is geared up quite yet. I mean, there's there was this f- sort of fascination at the beginning, right? Um, the you know, the pundit world, um, Washington, DC, and people around the country who particularly care about this stuff, um, they'll be watching, but most Americans aren't that engaged yet in who what who's up and who's down among the Democrats, which all brings into question the validity of polls um because if people are forced to pick they'll pick but it doesn't mean they've been paying close attention um right. the, some some recent polls are interesting but, there was a poll just this week that okay. showed that showed Biden, Biden Warren, down Warren and, it, and, and it, Sanders running sort of neck to neck but then another poll had Biden still up a dozen over either of them
0: So yeah so you're talking yeah. about the the different one you're talking about the uh the Monmouth poll uh which had uh which had uh, Joe Biden in a 32% decline, and then you, or I'm sorry, it had him in, in a 13-point lead. You had, uh, I forget the other pollster, uh, Richard Bino, help me out on that one, the poll that had him neck and neck.
2: Yeah, I just saw, I, I don't know what that was from, but I did see that it showed a three-way race between himself, Elizabeth Warren, and um, and Bernie Sanders. And it's interesting because as you saw when Seth Bolton, Bolton belt, bought out of the race last week, he said it's essentially become a three-way race. Now I don't agree with that. I think there is more than ample opportunity for Kamala Harris, for Pete Buttigieg, and for Cory Booker to potentially get into that top tier. But he made the case that it's, it's essentially the time that it's basically winnowed out. But um, it really hasn't, because go back to, for example, in 2003. I mean, I remember a time when Joe Lieberman, because of his name recognition, being Al Gore's vice presidential nominee, was leading. He was the front runner. I don't think that you know anybody actually thought he had a chance in the actual election, once people realize he's more conservative than they are. I think in Joe Biden's case, part of the reason that he's slipping is because people aren't necessarily looking for him in terms of ideology. They're looking at, they're hearing, they're hearing the coverage, and they'll talk about the gaffs, and they're saying, well, you know, is he too old? And that's something that potentially could benefit, you know, could benefit Elizabeth Warren, could benefit um, Bernie Sanders. But the issue, when you have Sanders and Warren there, both going after essentially the same constituency, the progressive base of the Democratic Party, that benefits Joe Biden because Joe Biden right now in the top tier of the candidates is the only center left Democrat um, you know you haven't seen any of these other candidates you haven't seen any of the others you know you start John Hinkalooper, the former governor of Colorado, who was running as a centrist he ha- he, he didn't get he's anywhere out. with it he's um, out. Steve Bullock, the governor of Montana, got in a debate, did relatively well, but has gotten very little media attention since and it's not at that two percent precipice, and now they're all over Montana they're yeah, saying, but Please run. Rich please at the same run.
0: Rich, at the same time, you're also saying, you know, somebody a a, a one tune wonder like uh Jay Inslee, who pretty much rolled dice to get the climate change and yep. global warming out there. Now, did he was he effective in getting that up on the platform? Absolutely. Was he going to sustain that through November 2020? No chance.
2: Well, uh, it's the same thing with, yeah, I going to say it's the same thing with, um, with Yang. I mean, he's brought in the issue of there being some sort of a universal income, which is an issue that nobody was talking about at that level. But he's brought in, the, not only that, but he's also brought in the issue of automation. He's saying, will there be riots if people aren't getting these jobs? I'm not talking about taking a position there. I'm saying that he has now made that an issue, so he's done his job. Because right. now every other candidate has to be on record explaining right. that, explaining what they what so, they're going to do about automation and everything else.
0: Right. So, uh, Ellen Moore, here's what's surprising to me. I'm looking at uh, two names that 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 have dropped so far that we knew they would, but it, it it's almost. The two names I'm thinking of are Eric Swalwell and Seth Moulton, particularly with Seth Moulton, who's more of a moderate. You're talking about a guy who did four terms, uh, four tours uh, as a in veteran Iraq. in Iraq, uh, a, a fairly moderate uh, Democrat from a Northeast state. Are we starting to see the signal that moderate Democrats aren't going to be the future of the party? Going forward,
1: well, I don't know. Uh, they're they're clearly uh, they don't have the energy behind them, and to the extent that there's energy, it's all still focused on Biden. Um, you know, he he occupies that 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 space, um, and and the other folks couldn't get traction. Andrew Yang, interestingly, is is is, is as Rich pointed out, has got this this uh, guaranteed income idea, which is intriguing, and he's kind of intriguing, and he's got money, and he's 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 going to be on the stage. He's got he's he's somebody who's actually developed a, a li- enough enough traction that, to get on the stage. Does,
0: does Yang surprise you more so than um, the other billionaire in the race? I, I just lost his name. Sire, sire, the uh, the Trump impeach guy.
1: You know he was such a one note guy and was also but self
0: funding yeah. i mean yeah
1: but he's but but he's also been out there begging people to give a dollar so he can get onto the stage and he's failed in that um so uh, he just he i don't think a billionaire who spends hundreds of millions promoting himself on camera talking about uh, uh, the Did impeach, you just call him the Democratic the Trump? No, I no no no, <laughs> I didn't call him the Democratic Trump. But 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 he's a he's a billionaire who's put himself front and center on the impeach the president issue, which causes people to say yeah right on but you i don't want you to be my president you're a billionaire who's spending all this money to put your face on television yeah I
2: mean, yeah go ahead rich we, yeah the question about moderates what we're seeing right now between joe biden elizabeth warren and um, and bernie sanders is the exact same equation i mean look at this what happened in 1972 you had eugene mccarthy who would run in 68 the anti-war candidate He ran again in 72, but this time around he wasn't the only anti-war candidate, so it was all spread around. The party had essentially come to him. Um, So then you also had – I guess this would be the George McGovern of the race. You could say somebody like Elizabeth Warren, someone who came in as a long shot but has the same ideology, but a a lot of McCarthy's people went to McGovern. So now this time around you're seeing a lot of Sanders people going toward Elizabeth Warren. In 72, you also had Hubert Humphrey, the establishment candidate who had lost the last race, former vice president. Hubert Humphrey in this race, I think, is the Joe Biden of this race, kind of the establishment candidate who's trying to move as far left as he can without alienating people. And then you have two others. You have New York City mayor. Last time in 72, you had Lindsay running, and Lindsay got nowhere. This time around, you have Bill de Blasio, New York City mayor running, and he's going nowhere. And then in 1972, also, you had Patsy Mink, a congresswoman from Hawaii who is running on an anti-Vietnam War peace platform this time around, you have Tulsi Gabbard, a congresswoman from Hawaii, who's running as a peace candidate. It's just, it's really eerie similitudes I see yeah, here.
0: Well, I can I definitely see that. Um, we, we've got uh, we have got three minutes left in the show uh, that I want to touch on real quick. Um, bottom line here, are we going to start seeing separation after Houston, Alan Moore?
1: I think we're already seeing separation. You think and, so?
0: You think yeah. we're going we the, these top 4 that we're seeing yeah. in the polls are going to stay the top 4? Well,
1: yeah, and remember even this poll that showed them them equal, uh they were that is Sam, Biden, Sanders and and uh Warren were around 20 21, 22 and then you drop all the way to 8 to get to uh to Kamala Harris. And then you go below that to get to to the rest of them. You've still got Amy Klobuchar in the in the mix. You got Yang, uh, you got Booker, um, and 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 Wayne
2: Manson. And, and and I'm sorry, what was that, Rich? The mayor of uh, Miramar, Florida. Remember him?
0: Oh, he, he... <laughs> he's still in the race, believe it or not. <laughs> so okay,
3: <laughs> no, that's that, useful. That's,
1: uh, that's helpful. It's thank like, you, Rich. Thank uh, you for no, keeping us honest. Well, I couldn't remember who the last one was, and if you. I, if, if I had seen that written down, I might not have gotten no. it. No question so. is
2: if he drops out, where will his supporter go?
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, it, it's uh, it, 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 it's inevitable that this occurs. Yeah. And, and what's what's fascinating to me was that Hickenlooper and Inslee, two governors with a fair amount of credibility who had had decent records as governors, um, didn't go anywhere. Or gone. Yeah.
2: Uh, Rich Rubino, you agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. Hinkalooper actually is now running for the Senate in Colorado, and it's a big controversy there because – they were. I mean, he was the big get for the Democrats, the only person they thought could beat Cory Gardner, who they think is vulnerable, and the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee has already endorsed him. But now you have a lot of local Democrats, local Democratic committees who are saying this guy is too moderate, and part of that was by the way that he went after Bernie Sanders in the debate, so it might actually hurt him in that respect. He's seen now as the establishment candidate. In the case of Jay Inslee, he's running now for a third term as governor right. of Washington. Seth Molden's going to – act. he actually has a real challenge for himself um, and the pro- he's got a couple of pro- potential primary opponents, and there's a possibility that John Tierney, his predecessor, might come back. Wow. A lot of people in the district think that he spent too much time um, running for president, hasn't spent enough time in the district. So that's going to be a potential issue. And Steve Bullock, I know that you know, the Democrats are beseeching him to run against Steve Daines in Montana because they think that that might be the seat that potentially flips from Republican to Democrat, and he's the only person who can do that. But right now, he's giving a categorical it, statement saying that he's absolutely in this race. But we'll see in a couple of days if right. he doesn't get into this debate, you know, the question is is it futility for him to stay in this race? And right. why? How is it beneficial? And is it going to hurt him in Montana if he does decide to run a statewide race because of him spending so much time potentially getting embarrassing results? Right.
0: Well, uh, with that being said, I uh, want to thank uh, the folks inside the cage, uh, Charlie. Uh thank you. Wow, I forgot his name. Eric Thomas. That's it. <laughs> Eric, our producer. Uh, we've got uh, uh God, I'm really I am really not with it right now. Alan Moore, uh Rich Rabino out there in Massachusetts. I'm your host, moderator Justin Russell. We will be back for the next best political talk show. Best political talk show you've never heard of background politics. Help with that? Yeah, I do. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is why we we love having you in the cage. Uh, You know what? We'll just see you next time. Have a great week, America. Bye-bye.